Welcome to the Christian Ministry Church Podcast. We're praying that this message equips and empowers you to live in the kingdom of God. Now for today's message by Pastor Paul Kern. Well, we want to welcome you. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome to Christian Ministries. We're glad you're here watching on our live stream or listening by podcast. It's always good to have you join us. And this will be a traditional Christmas message this morning because we are right here close to Christmas. But before I do, I want to share a tragic Christmas event that happened in my life. It's tragic PTSD. I mean, I've never gotten over it. I was 17 years old. Now, I'm saying that for dramatic effect. So I was 17 years old, and every Christmas Eve, who goes to their grandparents or goes see family at Christmas Eve, okay? And that was our tradition. We would go to our grandparents on Christmas Eve, and my grandmother would cook it all up, all the good stuff. It was kind of like having Thanksgiving all over again, man. It was like you got a double Thanksgiving blessing. It was really cool. And, um, you know, so we would have all the family there and the grandkids. And um, so when I was 17, my grandparents were older now. And I, I wasn't aware of it at the time, but I was after this Christmas happened that I think a little dementia was starting to set in. And um, we were given the gifts and I got handed my gift. You know, we pass them out. You know, y'all do that? Somebody, you know, you got the designated gift passer outer people. And so they start passing out the gifts. So I got my gift and it was about like this. And I was like, wow, what did my grandparents get me? You know, it's kind of a weird shape. And and so I, so when it came time to open, everybody starts opening and I start peeling back the paper and guess what it was? It was a jack-in-the-box. No, it was a, it was a legitimate, old-school toy, metal box, jack-in-the-box. Now, there's a lot of thoughts that go through a 17-year-old's mind when they get a jack-in-the-box. Because <laughs> I'm 17! And so I'm holding this jack-in-the-box, and I look at my mom... And I look back at it, and I look at my dad, and then I look at my grandparents. <laughs> and my grandmother's got this biggest smile on her face. I don't even think my grandfather's even paying attention. And, um, and my mom's like, you know, I was like, oh, God. Now, I'm just telling you, in my mind, I'm thinking, when this thing pops open, if there's not some money in Jack's hand, I'm going to be really mad. I'm just telling you, there better be a 20 minimum or a 50, okay? So I'm... Pop! Jack squat. I mean nothing. As a matter of fact, I think that's where that term came from, was right there that Christmas. And I was just like... What is happening? Why did I get this? <clears throat> and I never, that's what I got. And I remember complaining to my parents about that. So if you're a grandparent in here and you have a 17-year-old, do not buy them a jack-in-the-box. That is the moral of the story. If you do, put money in his hand. When he pops open, it's like, you know, yay! And then my mom's like, go hug your grandmother and grandfather and tell them thank you. And I'm like, I'm not appreciative of this gift. 
And I actually re-gifted that gift because, you know, I'm a re-gifter. That's, you know you are too. How many of y'all have ever re-gifted? Don't act like you haven't re-gifted. We get those gifts that we don't want, we re-gift them, right? So anyway, all kidding aside, we're going to celebrate the birth of Jesus. It's right around the corner. And I just want to reiterate what Chloe said. Please come uh, Christmas Eve. You know, it lands different this year. So, you know, Christmas Eve lands on Sunday and it's going to be a beautiful service. If you've never been to one of our Christmas services that we have, you really want to be here because it really, really is pretty and we'll have communion. It's going to be a great time as a family uh, together. So the title of my message this morning is Wise Men Still Seek Him. And there's probably been many, many sermons preached with this title this time of the year. I would imagine if you Googled it, you would pull it up for sure. But, you know, I think about Christmas time and we've all been decorating. I've watched my wife um, decorating. As a matter of fact, just a couple of days ago, we went and bought another tree to go with the already many, many trees that we have. And I thank Terry Brooks for that tradition that has been passed down to our house. My wallet is feeling the effects just as Pastor Tim's is. And so, you know, our house is beautiful, and I really appreciate my wife decorating so nice. It's, it's really, really, really nice. But, you know, obviously one of the traditional things that you have to set up is the nativity. You have to have the nativity. And as a matter of fact, we have two nativities uh, in our house, one on each side of our fireplace. One is kind of a they're, – they're different styles, Okay, one, and one is one that um, we've had for a very long time. And so in the morning, I get up and I have my coffee. That's the first thing, well, other than going to the bathroom and kicking the dog. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, I get my coffee and the last many days, you know, the, the nativities have been out there and I've just kind of sat and thought about the nativity. And I've walked up, I don't know if you guys have done this, but I like walking up to the nativity and just looking, looking at all the characters that are there and, and just kind of pondering that whole scene. And, and, and I, I just, you know, I don't know, it kind of warms my heart to think of Christmas past. And, you know, there's a lot of nostalgia that goes with all that. So it's, it's a heartwarming moment, but I was just looking at the nativity and I I was thinking about all the characters within the nativity scene. And, um, you know, there's obviously the manger, you know, the traditional barn looking manger and the hay and, and, um, you know, the, the sheep and the cows and little Mary and Joseph and the little baby Jesus in the little feeding trough and you know, I, I, I see all that. And I, as a matter of fact, I remember my sister when I was younger at her house. She's about nine or 10 years older than me, and um, she got into ceramics. And she made this really expensive, incredible nativity set. As a matter of fact, I remember um, the wise men, she actually used 14 karat gold paint and painted all these wise men. So you like, she would say, don't touch, don't touch the nativity, don't touch it. But it was really, really beautiful. And I was really always drawn to those wise men because they had that gold on, you know? 
And as I think about the nativity, I think about, you know, the cows and the sheep and the manure and the barn and the feeding trough and, and little, you know, average Mary and Joseph, Jewish young people. I mean, there's nothing, everything in that scene fits except the wise men. They just don't fit that traditional Christmas scene. They, they don't fit it. They, they kind of really, they, they really stick out of that scene because, you know, you think, okay, if they were in a palace or if they were in a castle, you know, these guys are, they're, they're, they're really well-to-do and they're very wealthy and they just, they don't fit that scene to me. And we've been, you know, we've become so used to them being there, but if you look closely, they, they really seem out of place with their fancy clothes and their fancy gifts. And I, and I really begin to think about those magi. You know, that's what they were. You know, we don't know a lot about them. We really don't, but we do know they were magi. And magi were a combination of philosophers, scientists, and astronomers. We know that they were you know, gifted in those areas of knowledge and understanding, and, and they were very wealthy. We obviously know that because you have to be wealthy to bring those kinds of gifts. You know, those aren't your, <laughs> you know, I've never had anybody give me those expensive kinds of gifts. You know, you have to have a lot of money to be able to give gold, frankincense, and, and myrrh, and these guys brought these very expensive gifts. So, but we don't know a lot about them. But one, one thing we do know is they were wise because we call them wise men. But I contemplate, why do we call them wise men? Do we call them that because they were astronomers and philosophers? And, you know, these guys were very well educated. They, they knew a lot about history and prophecy. And, but, but that that's not really the direction that I want to go. I, I want to talk about why we call them wise. And one of the first things that stuck out to me as I ponder the nativity scene as I sit in my chair in the morning with my cup of coffee, you know, the first thing that really stuck out to me is these guys were seekers of truth. They were seekers of truth. As a matter of fact, they, they asked the right question. In Matthew 2, 2, they said, where is the baby who was born king of the Jews? See, these guys were seekers of Jesus, and that's what wise people do. They seek Jesus. Wise men and women today, they still seek Jesus. And, you know, there's really two kinds of, of people in life when it comes to truth. They're speculators and they're seekers. And I got, a lot, I got involved with a lot of speculators. When I was younger, I was really into apologetics, um, just really studying the Scripture, going deep, kind of like Josh Barnett. You know, Josh is a lot like that and really loves studying the Bible. And really in my early days, very much a Bible nerd and taught a lot on apologetics. And <clears throat> I had a lot of um, debates with people online uh, before I got mature enough to know that that was a fruitless effort. <laughs> I had a lot of debates with speculators, and, and, and the thing about speculators is they, they make guesses about truth. You know, speculators, they think they know what God is like, and, and they give their opinion. Speculators argue, <clears throat> but they're just guessing. Yep. 
because they don't really know God because they're not seeking God. They're not seekers of truth. They're speculators of truth, and there's a difference because the fact is speculators, they don't really want to know him. They're not interested in knowing him. They just want to give their opinion about him. And, and that really challenged me in those early days of my walk with the Lord. Paul, are you going to be a speculator or are you going to be a seeker? Because there's a big difference between the two. And on the other hand, God loves those who worship him in spirit and truth. In spirit and in truth. And seekers of truth, they, 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 they do four things. One, they ask questions. And I asked a lot when I first got saved of all of my instructors and my teachers and Pastor Tim. I went to him all the time asking him questions. Another thing that seekers do is they study. They don't just read the Bible flippantly, you know, because they've got a to-do list and they're trying to check off their devotion for the day. No, they, they really study. They, they get their study Bible open, they get their notepad, and they begin to really study the word. Another thing seekers do is they, they watch what's happening around them. See, these wise men, they, they read the times. They understood the signs. They paid attention because they were seekers of truth. And, and then lastly, seekers, they, they do whatever is necessary to find answers. They're, you know, they're not satisfied with just whatever. No, they're going to seek it out and they're not going to be satisfied until they find what it is that they're looking for. See, seekers seek after Jesus with their whole heart, with all they have. Deuteronomy 4.29 says, but if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. And if you're genuinely serious about discovering truth, God will see to it that he leads you right to him, just like he did the wise men. You know, I think about all of those years, I was more of a speculator than I was a seeker. In my early teenage years, I was not a seeker of truth. I was a speculator. You know, I was interested in, you know, in, in spiritual things, but, but I wasn't a seeker. And it wasn't until I really became a seeker at the age of 23 that I found him. See, God made sure that he led me to his son, and I discovered him. And the fact is, you can't miss God. He won't let you. If you're really seeking him, you can't miss him because God won't let you miss him. He will lead you right to Jesus. Wise people seek truth. The second thing that wise people do, these wise men, they sacrificed. They sacrificed. See, searching for truth wasn't a part-time job for these guys. Obviously. I mean, these guys were willing to go to great lengths to find Jesus. Matthew 2, 1 says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, these guys traveled from the east to the Middle East. I mean, th this was a, a big journey for them. You know, they did not have a crew cab Chevy truck with air-conditioned seats in it. 
you know, and cruise control. That wasn't, that wasn't what they had. These guys, this was a four to five month journey across a hot desert. Tough, tough journey for these guys. They were serious about seeking God and they were willing to do whatever it took to find him. Whatever sacrifices needed to be made, these guys were willing to make it. And that's what wise people do. That's what we need to do. We can't let anything get in the way of our search for God. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a pearl that is so valuable that we'll sell everything else that we have to obtain it. That's what Jesus is supposed to be like to us. See, these wise men were willing to give up everything that they had to discover and worship Jesus. They, they literally left the comfort of their homes for a long, tough journey because they wanted to know him. They wanted to worship him. Wise people make sacrifices to know and worship the Lord. The third thing wise men are is they're humble. They're humble. See, this is a quality that wise people possess is humility. Humility. It's probably one at the very top of my list because there are, there are things that God hates and the, at the top of God's list is pride. So if the top of God's list is pride and Satan turned his back on God and was removed from God's presence because he exalted himself in pride, then the opposite must be true. Humility is the attribute that God looks for in a person probably more than any other quality that there is. These wise men, they were very wealthy. They were a very high position but they were wise enough to know that when they compared themselves to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, they were small. They were insignificant. They were, they were nobodies compared to Jesus. You know, I think about Jesus. <clears throat> Jesus was wise and he was humble. Jesus humbled himself, left the right hand of God in heaven, took on the lonely form of a human being and came as a baby into the world. Well, you talk about humble. See, Jesus, his entrance into this world was an act of humility. And Jesus's exit from this world was dying on a cross. It was a great act of humility for Jesus to lay his life down on that cross and suffer and bleed and die for us, for us. See, Jesus modeled humility for us at the very beginning of his life on earth. He left that high position and he became a tiny, helpless human being lying in a manger that parents had to take care of his every need, incapable. The God of the universe, incapable of taking care of himself, couldn't change his own diaper, couldn't feed himself, couldn't do anything, totally dependent upon human beings. 
See, Jesus modeled in his leadership humility. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, it says, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, and he was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. See, Jesus made a way for us through an act of humility. Humility. Wise men are humble. They bow low, just like these men. See, they recognize their need for God. Wise men, wise men are humble. They're not know-it-alls. <clears throat> They're teachable. They don't get in fruitless, stupid arguments. <clears throat> See, they're humble. When we look at the nativity, I, I just think about that scene and I think about God <laughs> lying in a manger. God lying in a manger as a baby. And what a holy night that was. Y'all remember the angels came. All of heaven burst forth in worship and song. What an incredible chorus that must have been because it was a holy night. Because God is holy. And yet, as we look at this moment, we are sinful. We're morally corrupt. All have sinned, the Bible says, and fall short of the glory of God while we were yet sinners Christ died for us. See, he put humility on display. He modeled it for us. We've all fallen short. We're all in desperate need, but at the same time, we're all deeply loved by the Lord. The cross is a symbol of ultimate humility and ultimate love, and the manger is a symbol of ultimate humility and ultimate love. See, just as Jesus' act of humility exalted him, our act of humility and bowing low before our Creator exalts us. Proverbs 22, 4, humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. Luke 14, 11, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. James 4, 6, God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. See, wise people are humble. And the last point is found in Luke chapter 2, verse 7. It says, as she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. No room. No room. Now, just think about that. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords makes his appearance in humanity for the very first time, and we don't have any room for him. No room. I, 
I connect with that. I remember here a few years ago, we, our um, church staff went to a ministries conference in Oklahoma. So we packed up a lot of our church staff and, and um, some of you were there with us on this trip and um, we loaded up in a van. We had a couple other cars and man, we headed out of town and we did the whole church ministries thing and it was really awesome. And um, we got done late that night. So we hit the road pretty late and we were headed back and uh, me and Jason Ross were in the front seats of the van. Jason was driving I was sitting in the passenger seat and everybody's following and and it's midnight, it's late, and man, we're just having this deep spiritual talk, and God's just ministering to Jason. He really was. It was really awesome, actually. It's really powerful. Everybody else is asleep in the back. And um, I, I glance out the, the side mirror, and I see all this smoke coming up. And I'm like, well, that's not good. <laughs> that's not normal. And um, I said, uh, Jason, look in your mirror. And he was like, Oh, and I mean, it was like bellowing out the back of this van. And I said, man, was some, there's something wrong. Something really, really bad is wrong. And about that time, you know, we get a text, hey man, there's smoke coming out of the back of the van. So we pull off of the side of the highway and sure enough, I mean, oil is just pouring out from underneath the van. Well, we can't drive it. So, you know, okay, what are we going to do? Make a decision. All right, we got as many people as we could off the van, piled them in the cars, and me and Jason, and I believe it was uh, Courtney, we decided that, you know, because we didn't have any more room, we would stay and wait on the tow truck driver to come. So the tow truck driver made it there. His name was Bubba. I am not kidding you. And he fit the mold, let me tell you. We got it all hooked up, and then we all got in the front seat with Bubba. Now, there wasn't a lot of room, right? And uh, I said, Courtney, you get to sit by Bubba. <laughs> and so <laughs> Courtney's sitting by Bubba, and me and Jason are in there, and, and we're going down the road, and, and Bubba starts telling us about his past because he found out, you know, we've been in a ministry's conference, and I was, and so I guess he felt like he needed to unburden himself. And so he started talking about when he was in prison for killing a man. And Courtney's looking at me, and Jason's looking at me, and we're all like, what has happened? Why are we in this truck? And then, you know, now I hadn't done any, I hadn't killed anybody since. And then he starts telling, I'm like, good. And then he starts telling us about his family. And I mean, they could all be on the Jerry Springer show. Let me tell you, it was something else. So we finally made it to Fort Smith, Arkansas. We got in Fort Smith, Arkansas, and we're looking for a place to stay. It's, by then, it's like one in the morning. It's really, really late. And so I start calling places. And um, so, because the, the rest of the people there, and we got everybody up and said, you guys head on back. You know, Jason and I, we'll stay. We managed to get Courtney packed in a car. And Jason said, we'll sacrifice for the team and we'll stay here. We called and called and called. Could not find a hotel anywhere. They were having a Mormon convention. I didn't know that Fort Smith was the Mormon mega capital of Arkansas, but they were having a huge event and every hotel was full. I felt just like Jesus. There was no room in the inn. So finally, we found this one place <laughs> and, it, and I knew it was a bad sign when she told me how much it was a night. It was 45 a night. And I was like, oh, this is not going to be good, Jason. And so we, we got a, a, a 
taxi or Uber, I don't remember what it was. Anyway, we got there. And man, I'm telling you, right when we pulled up, I knew that we, you know those seedy looking places on the side of the highway that are like 100 years old and, you know, the people that stay there, uh, it's just not good. So we, we get our room and as we're walking down the, the hallway, there's like, there's leaks all in the ceiling, all these stains. And then there's cigarette burns all in this carpet that was installed in 1969. And, and we got to the room and I opened the door and I was just like, oh, the, the, the bed, it was a queen. That's all they had. So Jason and I got sleep really, really close. It, it just gets worse. It just goes downhill from here. So there's like cigarette burns all in the comforter. Now, I, for some reason in that moment, a, a, a show on 60 Minutes came back into my mind when they had this blue light and they were doing this thing with all these hotels. Y'all know about the blue light? And they turned the light off, they turned the blue light on and the stuff that you see on a comforter. So I was smart enough to know you do not lay on that comforter. So the first thing we did is we took that comforter off. And, and I looked around and there were, there, were, there were roaches crawling around. And I was just like, dude, I can't wait for the morning. Well, at this time, it was probably about two. So we weren't going to be there very long. And Jason's like, man, I'm going to go take a shower. And I was like, man, I wouldn't do that. He goes in that shower. He wasn't in there like five seconds. He turned around, came back out. He said, I am not taking a shower. And there he says, go look at that. And I went and looked at that. It looked like, I don't know, I can't even describe to you the stains that were in that bathroom. Well, I get my shoes off and I'm trying to brush my teeth and I'm not touching. I'm just trying to like touch anything, you know. And, and all the way back to the bed, I, I don't have my shoes on and I step on something really squishy and wet. And I'm like, what is this? And I look down and there's some grapes from somebody else that had been staying there that were kind of deteriorating. And I step right in the middle of it. And it goes up between my toes. I'm like, ah, it's just terrible. So Jason and I, we're laying in this bed like this, just waiting for the morning to arrive so that we can get up and we can get a car out of there. So I get it. No, I mean, accommodations are not good. Not good. Mary and Joseph, they had a worse set of accommodations than we did though obviously, staying in a manger with cow manure. <clears throat> There's just nothing nice about it. And, 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 I, and I think, I mean, my experience helps me understand the Christmas story just a little bit better. But, but it's crazy to contemplate that God's son, the savior of the world is born and there's no room for him in the end. And then I think about that innkeeper and I think, man, you, you just... You missed a golden opportunity. You could have been rich and famous. Can you imagine the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the Messiah, staying in your hotel? Do you know what that guy could have done? I mean, he could have had one of those neon signs like they have in Vegas out front. <coughs> Son of God born here, right? <laughs> he could have charged three times for that room. And he could, I mean, he totally missed his opportunity, golden opportunity. 
And sadly, he missed the biggest blessing of his life because he didn't make room for Jesus. Mm. And we got to be careful that we're not found guilty of doing the same thing because, you know, it's easy during the holiday season to get really, really busy. You know, we've got parties and gifts and family and cooking food and going to Walmart 500 times a day. And then we fill up our schedules and our routines. And if we're not careful, we can crowd out the Lord. We can miss the whole reason that we are celebrating as we prepare for Christmas this year. Ask yourself this question. Have you left room in your inn for Jesus? Have you left room in your inn for Jesus? You know, as I close my message, I want to make an important parallel of the Christmas story to our own hearts. And it is this, you, you were made to hold God. But, but we are the most unlikely place. I mean, I think, about, I think about that night, and I think, I know God did it on purpose. <clears throat> I get it. There was a census going on, and people had traveled from all over, and there was no room. And, and it, 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 I really believe it was God's will that Mary and Joseph ended up staying where they stayed because it's such a parallel to us. Dirty, stinky humanity, unholy, unclean, undeserving of the presence of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And yet God did not pick a castle for Jesus to be born in. And he didn't pick a palace, although he could have easily have done that. No, what God picked was a dirty, stinky manger smelling of manure for his son to be born. And it's such a parallel that God picked us so undeserving of his son and of his presence, yet he picked us to be his habitation. He picked us to be the place where he would live. And you were made to hold God. And until you understand that, and and if you're listening by podcast or watching by live stream, until you understand that, nothing in life will make sense for you. It'll never make sense for you. You'll search your whole life, but it'll never make sense for you. See, our hearts so often get filled with other ideas, other interests, other values, other relationships, other loves, other commitments. And it happened in the Bible. It wasn't any different back then. Exact same people living their life, buying groceries, paying taxes, going here, going there. But then there were the wise men. And that's what we want to be like. These wise men did not miss an opportunity to seek him, to sacrifice for him, to humble themselves, to know him and encounter him and to make room for him. We want to be like these wise men this Christmas season. So 
Tomorrow morning when you get up for your cup of coffee and you get ready to start your day as an auto mechanic or a roofer or a contractor or a stay-at-home mom or a vet tech or a receptionist, a secretary, whatever it may be for you, when you get up, get up a little bit earlier. Get a cup of coffee, tea, whatever it is you do, and walk over to your nativity. And you just ponder for a moment. about what God did for you. What God did for us. That, that he sent Jesus. Wow. So thankful that he sent Jesus. Not so that we could be speculators, but, but so we could be containers. That we could that our heart could be the manger that Jesus, that he lives in. And when we go see our families, and we all will, the in-laws and the outlaws, let them see him. Let them encounter him. Let them experience him. Not you. Not you but let them experience him. Because the wise men, they didn't come to see the manger. They came to see Jesus. There wasn't really anything to see but Jesus. <clears throat> but boy, did they behold him. And man, I'm just thinking this Christmas, may they behold him in us. When we're around our family members and our relatives and our coworkers and our friends, who are they going to see lying in the trough of our heart? Will they see him? And that's what we want them to see. We want them to experience his presence as a result of being around us. So as I end, we say, happy birthday, Jesus. We love you. We're so grateful that you humbled yourself and you chose to come here so that we could experience you, Emmanuel, God with us. Amen? Amen. You guys stand with me this morning. <clears throat> Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, God. We're just so grateful. And we say happy birthday, Jesus. Happy birthday, Jesus. Jesus, we are so grateful that, that your spirit led us to you. And that while we were yet sinners, God, you, you gave yourself for us. And Lord, you loved us anyway. Even in all of our imperfections, Lord, you're not looking for the perfect place to come to. You'll take care of that once you take up residence, Lord. But God, we're so grateful to you. God, help us to be wise. Help us to seek you, worship you, sacrifice for you, make room for you this holiday season, Lord. And God, may this be a, a very Merry Christmas for us all. And 
And God, I, I just pray for the ones who Christmas can be a difficult time. They've lost loved ones and, or they're, they're, they're alone. Things aren't like they used to be. Things are different for them now. God, I pray that the Prince of Peace will fill their hearts. And God, that your joy, like we sang today, that joy, that inexplainable joy, God, will overflow in them. And God, that they will feel your presence like this year, like they've never had before because of your presence in their life. We give you thanks and praise today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to this message from Christian Ministries Church. If this message impacted you and you'd like to sow into our ministry, you can give at cmchurch.com. If you'd like to listen to more of our messages, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search for Christian Ministries. God bless.